Several years ago, I found myself in one of the most unlikely of places. At least I had not planned on being there. Uh, just a few weeks earlier, I was pulled over in a suburb of Kansas City for an expired license plate. So I'd hoped to be done with this unfortunate situation uh, in a matter of moments just by paying a fine or a ticket, but no, 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 no. The officer presented me with a very special gift that day. It was a summons to court. That's just how this city operated. So uh, I arranged my schedule that day. Unfortunately, the place where this was at uh, was, was not close to my house. It was almost an hour away. And so I took off the morning of work. I got dressed, made myself presentable, and, and drove off to the place I was supposed to be. Well, when I arrived, of course, I had no idea where I was going, and I just had paperwork in front of me. I went to the room it told me to go to. It was a courtroom, and so I walked in and, and sat down. There was a judge. He was calling people's names. He was uh, going through the, the assessing their situation, and he was handing out sentences. And I sat there for a little bit, and I was wondering, am I even in the right place? Uh, well, eventually, uh, I realized that I don't think he's going to call my name, and so I was worried that I was going to miss my appointment. So I, I got up and left the room. I went and found somebody to help me. It was a, it was a county clerk, or a court office clerk. They took my paperwork, and they said, okay, you are in the right place, so thank, thank goodness for that. They said, we have your paperwork. What we're going to do now is we're going to hand it to the judge, and then he'll call your name. So I walked back into the room that I had just left, slightly embarrassed. Uh, and, and as I was there, the judge began to call more people forward. And sure enough, uh, he got to the next paper in his stack. And he said, Mr. Fields. And I stood up and walked forward front and center in the room for him to assess my guilt. Well, my name is Britton Fields. I'm one of the pastors here at Plotwoods United Methodist Church. It's so great to be in worship with you. If you're a guest with us or you haven't, uh, or you've only been coming here for a little bit, we're so glad that you're here today. We, we believe in a God who welcomes all people. And so matter, no matter who you are or where you come from, we believe that you are welcome. Not just because I say it, but because God says it for us. And so welcome to worship today. At our church, uh, Platwood United Methodist Church, our mission is leading people to follow Jesus. And we do that in a variety of ways. One of the ways is through worship. So we come together every week. We gather online or in person uh, to, to sing together, to pray together, to, to share a message together and to reflect together. Uh, and so you can do that every week, like I said, online, or you can come in person now. We are having in-person services, so you can go to our website and register for those if, if you would like to come and be here in person. I encourage you to do that. Uh, well, we are in a sermon series, and we just kicked this off. It just started last week. Pastor Evie brought the message uh, last week. It was all about uh, moving from doubt to delight. Uh, we're in this series called Lighten Up, and the hope through this whole series is that we can take some of the things that weigh us down, that constrict us, that hold us back from living this life of, of fullness, of excitement, of joy. Uh, that's what we want to step into. That's what we want to move into. And so we want to let some of those things go that weigh us down and move into this life that God would have us to live. And so last week, again, Evie talked about moving from doubt to delight, finding uh, finding the good and the sacred and everyday and ordinary. Today we're talking about moving from guilt to grace. 
Now, when I think about this word guilt, I don't exactly get a bunch of warm, fuzzy feelings inside of me. I have all these negative connotations. I often go immediately to this courtroom imagery where there's, there's this judge on high that's going to assess the things that I have done wrong and is going to hand out the appropriate penalty. That's just where I go. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that we have to deal with guilt in all kinds of aspects of our lives. We deal with it on our, in our relationships. For those of you who are parents, just, just think about what you have to do when you're at home with your kids and, and someone does something wrong. You have to assess the situation, and then uh, you have to hand out maybe some form of dis- discipline. This, this would, would look like maybe a, a timeout, or, or maybe they have to say sorry. They have to write a note to someone. In some cases, if the situation is bad enough, you may have to say, you're grounded. If you're a parent of older kids, you may have to take away the thing that's most important to them. You know what this is. It's their phone. Right? Whatever it is that will get the point across. Uh, but this, we also deal with guilt, uh, not just in our homes, but in our workplaces. I worked as a manufacturing engineer for, for years and years and years. And when you work on the uh, manufacturing floor, we have these things called production goals. And so every single day, we, we wanted to get out the right number of pieces. We had to hit our production goals. And when we did that, which happened most of the time, you might get a pat on the back or a thumbs up or good job. But, but when you miss the goal, you could bet that people were going to be moving uh, out onto the shop floor and asking questions, trying to find out, okay, who is responsible for the reason why maybe we failed to reach this goal? Well, I did this uh, from time to time. So the, the Direct reports that I had, I would go out to the shop floor and I'd say, okay, guys, tell me what, what was going on, what happened. And it was always interesting. I felt like a detective because I would get all these little bits and pieces of the story. Sometimes uh, it, it was blamed on, you know, the other shift. The other shift didn't set us up for success here. Or this person, they didn't clean the, the equipment right, and so it, it broke down. So you took all these pieces of information and tried to put it together. And I did this because... Not, not necessarily because I you know, wanted to. I wanted to go out and, and, and give blame to someone, but I had bosses asking me questions as well. And so I was really careful how I communicated to them. If I had one little slip up, if I showed them, hey, maybe, gosh, maybe our training procedures weren't quite up to, to snuff, or maybe uh, you know, some of the design of the system wasn't quite right, then they would hand out guilt to me, and I was worried about that. And so we played this kind of this game, and guilt created this ripple effect through our organization where rather than own up to the pieces that we contributed to the entire situation and then uh, try to move forward as a team, we, we, would, we would move it around. And this, this idea of guilt um, is something that we all struggle with. It's a tension that we, li- we live in. It doesn't feel good, and so we try to move it away from ourselves. We try to pass it on or break free from it in any way that we can. And that is very apparent in the scripture that we're going to read today. It comes to us from Psalm 32. This is a psalm that talks about the tension that we live with in our guilt. And so I'm going to read this today. It's just the first five verses. And you're going to uh, see how, how we can deal with our guilt uh, one of the things I want you to keep in mind when we're reading this is that this is a psalm that can be read as individuals, yes, but, but in the psalms, 
groups of people would have gathered together and they would have read it as a community. So they would have actually dealt with their guilt as a community. So, so in essence, God, how are we as a church not living up to your holy standard in the world? How are we as a church? So there's a, there is a team component to this, okay? So hear these words from Psalm 32. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. So in these verses, there's a couple words that may or may not be familiar to you. There's words like iniquity and transgression and sin. And basically, those, those are words that we use to, to assign guilt. They, they're, they're of similar meaning. And in this passage, it's, it's all about guilt, but it starts in an interesting way. It says, happy. Happy are those who are forgiven. Happy are those in whom God imputes no iniquity. In other words, happy are those who God assigns no blame. So there is a sense of rejoicing here in this text, but, but what's strange is what happens in verses 3 and 4. You don't, you don't get a sense of rejoicing. You see a person that is, quite honestly, distressed. In, in verse 3 and 4, it says, uh, While I kept silence. So it's a person holding something in. They're saying, my body was wasting away. And they were groaning all day and all night. And then it says that God's hand was heavy upon them. This is a person who is concerned about what God might do with their guilt. Can they even approach God with, with some of the things that, that, they, that they have, with who they are? How is God going to react? Will they be forgiven? Will they be accepted? There's tension here. This is not a person at peace at all. And they're carrying their guilt with them. It actually reminds me of this, this character from the Harry Potter series. If you're familiar with it, there's this character, his name's Dobby. Uh, Dobby is this house elf, and th these, these creatures in the story, their whole responsibility was to, to serve the family that they were enslaved to. And because of this unfortunate situation, they all of these creatures, Dobby included, they had this overwhelming sense of, of guilt all the time that they carried with them because they believed that they were going to disappoint the family that they served. Well, at one point in the story, Dobby's actually freed from that. He's freed from the family so he can live and move about the world however he pleases, but there's something that doesn't change. His, his guilt is carried with him in his mind, and he has this hard time getting over it. Even though he knows he's freed... He struggles to break free from that guilt mindset. That's what I see in the scripture. Look in verse 5, it says this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't hide my iniquity. And then at the very end here, and you forgave my guilt. I think oftentimes we say this over and over again, is that God uh, loves us, God forgives us, but we don't always live it out that way. And that's what we see happen in this very next verse, it says that the person broke their silence, and in doing so, God met them there. And at the very end, it says God forgave them of their guilt. 
And though we sometimes know that, we don't always live that out. Guilt is something that can stick with us and keep with us. Oftentimes, the best stories and the best characters reveal something to us. And I think that's what Dobby does in this story, is he tells us about the power that guilt can have over us if we carry it with us, even after we've been liberated. Uh, what guilt can also do is it can cause us to want to to shift the blame to other people. And imagine living in a place where you always want to blame someone else for what's happening in the world and never accept your own piece of that puzzle. Well, Jesus actually helps us how to navigate this type of situation, and he does it beautifully over and over again throughout the Gospels. But one of the stories that sticks out to me is the story of him calling Matthew, the tax collector, to become a disciple. So Jesus is walking through the town and he comes across this person named Matthew. He walks by his tax booth and he says, follow me. Well, Matthew gets up, follows Jesus. They spend time together. Uh, later that day, they end up in a group together. So it's Jesus, Matthew, and some of Matthew's friends and colleagues. And the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, they catch wind of this and they want to insert their own opinions. They say, why is it? that Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And when Jesus catches wind of this, he says, he, he gives this response. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. And he tells them to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. And there's, there's great wisdom here in what Jesus is doing because in that last line, coming to call the righteous and not sinners, what Jesus is telling me is he is saying that there are no righteous. There are only sinners. We all have guilt. The only way that we can become righteous is to follow after Christ and to let grace enter into the picture. And then we are made right, righteous, not by our own doing, but by what God has done for us. And then what he tells the Pharisees, he says, look, what you are doing is you are, you are circumventing God's plan for the world. I'm coming to be with people, be with those that you have labeled sinners. And you have become self-righteous. And in doing so, you've heaped guilt, you've heaped shame, you've pushed people away from my love and my grace. And so I need you to learn something. Here's where their guilt comes into play that they didn't take into account. He says, I need you to learn that I'm about mercy and not sacrifice. So be merciful, just as I am merciful. Now, what does this mean for us and the world? Uh, it means that we are gonna continue as a society and as a church, as a community, we're gonna continue to grapple with all kinds of difficult and complex and hard conversations and situations in our world. One of those that is on the forefront of my mind that keeps coming up that we keep having to talk about is the subject of race and racism and how it damages uh, so many of us in this world. The temptation when we're talking about difficult conversations like this is to, is to push blame onto other people, to assign guilt, and to say things like, well, you know what? They're just being divisive. They're just being political. They're just 
playing the race card. But what happens is if we can accept our guilt and we can start living for mercy and not sacrifice, then we can allow grace to enter into the picture. And that, my friends, that is what can hold us together when we let grace enter in. Richard Rohr says it like this in his book, From Hope to Darkness. He says, uh, finger pointing is usually just an avoidance of our own transformation. In other words, what he's saying is when we assign blame, when we point fingers, we avoid dealing with our own stuff. And when we avoid dealing with our own stuff, who loses? We do. Because we miss out on the transformative powers of God's grace. And then he concludes uh, by saying this. He says, the person with a great soul, and I'm going to add my own words in here, with a grace-filled soul, is one who moves others toward the future with compassion and confidence, not judgment, paranoia, or accusing. In other words, if we can deal with our own stuff, acknowledge the places where we may have fallen short, we can let grace enter in and we can share that with others. And in doing so, we can build a better future together. Moving from guilt to greats lets us live a life of freedom, liberated to be God's people, a force for good, a force for grace in the world. Whenever I was in that courtroom, I learned just a, a little bit, a tiny bit about what God's grace is like. I stood before the judge and he said, Britton, what have you done? What have you done to make the situation better? I said, well, I, the good news is if I, I've actually taken care of my license plate, plates, I'm legal, I'm all up to date. And he looked at me and he said, okay, you're good to go. Thank you for doing that. He thanked me. And he said, you're only going to pay a minimal fine. And he let me on my way. And I just, I just breathed a sigh of relief. But there was another individual that was in there that day. He went right before me. It was a young man. And he was nervous. He was terrified. He was clueless. He didn't know what to do or what to say. And when he stood before the judge, look, he had tons of stuff going on. I almost felt guilty just listening in on his story. But the judge questioned him pretty directly and said, have you done anything to help uh, with what's going on in your life? And, and honestly, this, this, this young man had no good answers. Like he was totally guilty. And as the judge questioned him, you could tell he was becoming increasingly frustrated and maybe a little bit annoyed. But then he stopped and he said, okay, it's clear that we need to take some action here. He said, but I want you to do, what I want you to do, young man, is I want you to come back in a month. And I want you to bring a lawyer with you, someone that can help you navigate this process. And then he helped him. He said, and if you can't find a lawyer, I want you to talk to us. We're going to help assign one to you. And rather than bring down the hammer and assign a punishment to this young man, he showed him grace. Let's pray together. God of love and mercy and light, you are our great liberator. You free us from the bondage of, of guilt that can hold us down, hold us back. And you can help us to pursue new life and new things with the power of your grace. 
And so today, God, we just ask for, for forgiveness. And the moment that we ask it, we know that you have already given it. And for that, we give you our thanks. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.